Hey, uh, I'm Tim, if we haven't had a chance to meet before, and I'm going to be getting to uh, preach from God's Word in a minute, but first, I have an announcement. And this is an announcement that we had, a, we had a plan for somebody else to come and do, and he was sick this morning, so I'm going to try and hack my way through this. Uh, we want to let you know, uh, I know in this room, we've got people who have been reading the Bible for 50, 60, 70, 80 years, and we also have people who have just started their journey of getting to know God through his word. And in, starting in January 10th, uh, my friend Mike Evanson, who preached here in the summer, he's, he and his wife Lisa are part of our church family, uh, bald guy with a beard, uh, and I'm not talking about Pastor Zach, he's, he's uh, another bald guy with a beard, super smart Bible scholar, is, uh, has developed a course to help us, wherever you find yourself on your Bible reading journey, to, uh, to read your Bible better. That's what he's calling this course that he's going to be offering starting January 10th for seven, seven Tuesday nights. And Mike would love for you to join him if you're curious to know what the Bible is and why you should read it or about different Bible translations. How do you pick which one? What's the differences between them? Uh, if you're curious about different genres that are in the Bible, how to read the different parts of it or how to read it in context in order to avoid misinterpretations. These are all the kinds of things that Mike will be covering in the course. So it'll be thought-provoking teaching, engaging discussion, and lots of fun learning with others. Uh, so Tuesday, 7 p.m., community room for 10 weeks starting January 10th. If that interests you, and, and it's awesome, I'll tell you, uh, Mike ran this course during COVID when we were in lockdown phase, when we could only gather on Zoom. We did an online version of this course, and my wife and I sat in our house each, uh, I think it was Tuesday or Thursday night, learning, and Mike did a great job teaching about uh, ways to read the Bible, how to observe what it says, how to uh, interpret what it says, and then how to apply what it says. Uh, and then there's lots of, it's interactive, so you'll do little workshoppy things where you get to put into practice the things that he teaches. So if you're interested in that, head to the website, sevenoaks.org, uh, events, then you can scroll down to read your Bible Better course, uh, and there's a button on there that just says, sign up here, and you'll send Mike an email with your info. Or you can call Tammy in the church office if you don't have email, and she'd love to get you on the list for that. So... Read your Bible Better course, January 10th, sign up. It'll be awesome. Now, let's get to uh, the Bible. We're in our Advent series. Uh, some of you know Christmas is coming, right? We're getting pretty close, actually. Uh, we're in our series called Whispers of Christmas, where we've been looking at texts from Old and New Testament, not your standard Christmassy texts. Jamie preached from Genesis 3 and then Deuteronomy 18, and then last week Jack preached from Galatians 4, and today I'm going to be preaching from a part of the New Testament that doesn't usually get a lot of Christmas, uh, doesn't have a lot of Christmas appeal to a lot of people, but that's where we're going to go. So in our series, Whispers of Christmas, the first two weeks, we, we talked about texts that pointed forward to Jesus. As Jack said last year, they pre-told the story of Jesus. They let us know that a Savior was coming. And, and last week, Jack's text looked back at what happened when Christ came. And today's text, since we're in the New Testament, is also going to be a look-back text. Uh, from, from the vantage point of an event that's already happened, it's going to look back, 
But then it's also going to look forward to a future event. So I want you to, to notice that as I'm going to be reading it in a second. So if you have a Bible with you, please open to Titus chapter 2. comes right after the two best books in the Bible because they're called Timothy. Um, <laughs> Titus chapter 2, right after First and Second Timothy. It's on page 998 in my Bible. <laughs> So the book of Titus was written by the Apostle Paul to a group of Christians, new Christians, who were uh, on the island of Crete. Titus was their pastor, so it's Paul writing a letter to Pastor Titus, telling him how to lead uh, the new church in Crete. So Titus chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 11 to 14, okay? So if you have a Bible, follow along, otherwise it'll be on the screen behind. This is what it says. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. The word of the Lord for us today. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for your word, that it is living and active, that it doesn't return void. Thank you that you speak to us by your spirit anytime the word is heard and proclaimed, and I ask that you would help my brothers and sisters in this room today and those who are at home watching online to hear what it is you want to say to them through this text. Would you open blind eyes? Would you open deaf ears? Help us to see the beauty of Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. So not not your typical Christmas text, right? Here's what, uh, I'll give you three things that I think this text tells us this morning. Here's the first one. We live between two appearings. That's in this text. We live between two appearings. There's a first one and a second one. In the, the, and this word appearing is really interesting. It's the Greek word epiphany or epiphaneo. And if you know what an epiphany is, it's kind of like something that was invisible all of a sudden becomes visible. It's like a light switch goes on. What was once dark, all of a sudden a light switch goes on, you can see it, and it's like, oh, now I see what's always been there. What has been invisible becomes visible, or it currently wasn't, you couldn't see it. It was unseen, and now you can see it. So the first appearing that it talks about, it says, first, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That's what it says in verse 13. That's the first appearing. That's the, that's the look back appearing. And then second in this text, it tells us that the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will appear. That's going to be the second appearing that it talks about in our text. So what Paul is saying here to Titus, to the Christians in Crete, and to us is that the Christian, if you know Jesus here in this room and you identify as a, as a Christian, you live your life looking back in one sense at what, Christ is, what God has already done in Christ when he appeared the first time, and then you also anticipate what's going to happen when Christ returns a second time. 
his second appearing. So where we live right now, if you think an arrow goes back and an arrow goes forward, there's a line somewhere in there. That's where we're living right now. That's what Paul is saying. We live right now, just like uh, the early Christians did between two appearings. And what Paul is really concerned with, with these Christians in Crete, is that their life be shaped by the reality of those two appearings. He talks about living a certain way in this present age, because Jesus came and he's going to come again. He says that Christians ought to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, live self-controlled, upright, godly lives, and be zealous for good works. So he says living between those two realities ought to fuel us to express our gracious and self-sacrificing God by how we live here and now. These are the kinds of things that Paul says Christians ought to be known for, self-controlled. Godly living, upright, good works. This is what knowing that Christ came and he's coming again does in us. So we live between two appearances. This is a reality that's to shape how we live now. Okay, so let's zoom in now. Paul zooms in on the first appearing. He zooms in looking backwards at what God has already done, okay? Heads up, this is what we celebrate at Christmas. <laughs> this is included in what we celebrate at Christmas. This is what he says of the first appearing. He says, Christ appeared the first time to make the grace of God visible and to make salvation available for all people. This is what happened the first time the light bulb went off. The grace of God became visible and salvation was made available to all people. That's from verse 11 that says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Okay, there's a Christ, here's your Christmas challenge. Memorize that verse. It's an easy one to memorize. There's two parts to it. Grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. We're gonna look at it now in two parts. Okay, we're gonna look at what it, the grace of God appeared, how? What's that talking about? And then, Making salvation, bringing salvation for all people, what does that mean? We're going to look at as well. So let's start with first the grace of God appeared. How? Um, when I was a kid, uh, my family tradition was to go to my grandpa and grandma's house on, um, what night was it? Christmas Eve. On Christmas Eve. We'd get together, grandpa and grandma, aunts and uncles, cousins, five boy cousins, so you can imagine how crazy that was. Little kids at grandpa and grandma's house, we would eat dinner together like many of your traditions are. We'd, we'd sit around the table. Uh, only oddly enough, grandpa really liked video cameras when they first came out, so he set up a video camera on a tripod and recorded our Christmas dinners. It's really weird. <laughs> I'm pretty sure my parents still have VHS tapes. Yeah, my mom's nodding right now. They have VHS tapes of our Christmas dinners. It's the weirdest, I don't know what, what he was doing. But we ate dinner like many of you did. Then uh, we would get to open one gift. One gift, uh, because after that, we'd go to the Christmas candlelight service at church together, the whole family. And we would sit there, and I'd be fiddling with my new watch or whatever. We would have something to, to keep us occupied during the service, 
We'd get through the candlelight service, just waiting for what was to come when we got back to their house, right? We'd go back to their house. When we got there, we're all, we're all anxious to, to get to open the presents because when you're a kid, that's the most important thing. But there was something else that we did when we got back to Grandpa and Grandma's house before presents. And now looking back, I think it was the best thing that we did. We'd sit in the living room. Uh, Grandpa would pull out his chair, kind of put it in the middle. He'd open the big family Bible, you know, those giant King James ones where you write the family history and stuff in the front of it. He'd sit on the chair. Uh, the kids, if you were lucky, you'd get to sit on his lap. Sometimes there'd be one or two of the grandkids on his lap, the others of us on the floor in front, and he would read from Luke 2. He'd read from Luke 2 before we would get to open the rest of our presents. Some of you may know the story. Pregnant with child, Mary and Joseph uh, travel to Bethlehem because there's a census and they have to, they have to go there. Luke chapter 2, verse 6 to 7 says, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And then it tells us about there being shepherds out in a field around the same time as this and an angel appearing to those shepherds and they're afraid. Verse 10 of Luke 2 says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. <laughs> that was perfect timing. That was perfect. Yeah. So why did I read you from Luke 2? Because I'm feeling nostalgic around Christmas and also so that you see that's how the grace of God appeared. It's telling us the story of how the grace of God appeared as a humble baby. That's the first appearing of God. He came as a humble, dependent child born to a virgin in shame and disgrace. Jesus Christ is the very embodiment of God's grace because he came to give us a love that we didn't deserve. And this love, as Paul connects in Titus 2, is ultimately expressed in him giving himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. So what Paul does in Titus 2, when he refers back to the grace of God appearing, he takes us back to the manger, and then he zooms forward and connects the cradle with the cross. He connects the, the manger to the murder. Paul always holds those two together. When he refers back to the first appearing of Christ, he looks forward to what Christ was born to do. And that was to give his life, to redeem us from all lawlessness. It's really important to, to sit with that as we celebrate Christmas, where we focus on the manger, we focus on the birth, but remember that birth is always connected to a death. 
That was the reason for the birth. That's the reason God's grace appeared. He appeared as a baby, grew up, lived, died, and he rose to redeem and rescue the undeserving. Jesus, when he was born, was God's grace made visible so that the world could see how much grace did God have? How much love did God have for his sinful humanity? He came. He appeared. So that's what the grace of God appeared how? As a baby. But that baby grew. Second, it says he brought salvation for all people. The word all can can trip some people up. (laughs) What did Paul mean by that? Some people would argue that, that Paul was saying here that Christ's first appearing, the grace of God appearing, meant that all people would be saved universally. That's how some people view this text saying, but it would seem to me what Paul is actually saying is that Jesus made salvation available or he brought it to all people. He brought it to all people. It doesn't affect all people equally, but he made it available to all people. And we see that in, uh, in Luke, where salvation is made available to shepherds. Salvation is available to wise men who were pagan astrologers at the time. Salvation is made available to, to Jews and Gentiles and women and men and children. Salvation, Jesus brought it for all people. But it doesn't mean that all people are automatically saved. Uh, Recently, my kids and I watched a movie that some of you may have seen. Uh, It's called The Rescue. It's on Disney+. Plus. It was made by uh, uh, National Geographic. Sorry, I should have written that in my notes. It was made by National Geographic called The Rescue. It tells the story that some of us were following a few years ago about the, the Thai soccer team who were trapped in a cave that had filled up with water. If you're not familiar with the story, 12 uh, Thai soccer, like this this team of kids and their coach were out playing one day and there was this cave system that they would go and explore in the summertime. It was only open in the summertime because during monsoon season, it was known to flood. Well, this was outside of the normal flooding season. So they went to play in this cave. It was like kilometers long. There'd be huge caverns, and then it would get really narrow. They'd have to squirm their way through, and they were way, way deep in this cave one day, like they, like they normally went and did. But this day, out of season, the rains came. And while they were deep in this cave, the, the water started coming, and, and just the shape of the entrance of the cave means as it's raining outside, Lots of water is rushing in the entrance of this cave, and it's going deeper and deeper in. And eventually, these kids and their coach found themselves trapped. They were a few kilometers into this system. They, they were completely trapped, and they were in there actually for a few weeks. It's a, it's a crazy story. So they're in there, trapped in this cave because the waters had come up. There was no way to get out unless you could... You could dive to hold your breath to get way through this cave system. Trapped, no food, no blankets, no anything, unprepared. Uh, they, were on this, they were in this big cavern that had uh, a little bit of land, an elevated spot that they could stand on so that they were actually out of the water for this few weeks. But while they were trapped in there for a few weeks, the world watched 
as authorities tried to figure out how are we going to get in there to rescue these kids? What, what can we do to get them out alive? And, and the, the Navy, the Thai Navy was involved and experts from all around the world descended on Thailand because the news agencies were all watching and they're all thinking, how are we going to get these kids out alive? They need to be rescued. Parents are crying on TV, wondering if their kids are ever going to get out. To make a long story short, what, what happened was there were these cave divers from the UK and from Australia that just for kicks, they really like to dive into caves underwater. It's a crazy, crazy thing to do just for fun. Oxygen tanks and everything, and they just love to explore a cave when it was underwater, which is so many things can go wrong, but... Over time, they were able to get deeper and deeper into these caves, putting a rope to follow so that the next group of people could get a little deeper in just by following the rope to get towards these kids because they needed to be rescued. And eventually, eventually, these, these divers, they were just regular Joes that worked regular jobs but had this strange hobby, made their way to this cavern where the kids were. And, and they popped up, and for the first time, they got their eyes on this group of kids, and they saw that they were alive after a few weeks, miraculously. Now, in that moment, when the rescuers got to the diver, I mean, to the kids, uh, the kids, they didn't just click their fingers, and all of a sudden, those kids were saved on the outside of the cave. They had to figure out a plan to make a way for those kids to be able to be saved, to get rescued. They weren't universally saved. In order to be rescued, here's the plan. They had to trust a diver who would sedate them. This is a crazy plan. Who would sedate them, put them to sleep so that they didn't panic while they were diving out underwater, sedate them while the diver put a mask on them unconscious with an oxygen tank and dragged them unconscious through the cave for a few hours to get them out to safety. That was the plan. <laughs> Sometimes they had to stop partway through and give them another needle because they were starting to wake up from their sedation. It was absolutely insane. But in order, if they wanted to live, if those kids wanted any chance of living, they had to put their life in the hand of the diver. Complete trust. They needed to accept the rescue. When the diver got there, he had to say, hey, come with me. They had to do that. Here's why this is important. Jesus came on a rescue mission. Okay, and he came to rescue us from sin when we were helpless. And he gave up his perfect life in exchange for our imperfect one, and he rose victoriously to defeat sin and death, and he hold, now he holds out his hand, inviting us, inviting all people to reach out and grab his hand so that he can lead us to life, so that he can lead us to true life. John 3.16 is a very famous passage Many of you could recite it uh, from, your, from your heart. This is what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him. That word belief is the same as faith and which has the meaning of trust. 
It's putting your life in somebody else's hands. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, Paul says that it's by grace that we're saved through faith, through belief, through trusting in Jesus. So here's the point. Jesus rescues all people who will accept his rescue. All people who will accept Jesus' rescue and put their life in his hands, he gives them life. And here's the tragedy. Some people would rather stay stuck in a cave. So have you accepted the rescue and offer of life? This Christmas you could. That's why Jesus came. The grace of God appeared, bringing salvation to all people. And this is important too. Some of us think that we're saved. We've accepted the rescue just because we grew up going to church. We grew up going to Sunday school. We do all the religious things. But even for you, I would ask, do you trust Jesus? Have you trusted him? For life. So the first appearing made the grace of God visible and made salvation available for all people. That's what we get from this text. This is a looking back reality, but Paul takes it, takes our hearts and minds forward as well. So that's the first reality that we live in today. Here's the next reality. Christ will appear a second time in glory, and we shall see him as he is. So the first coming... Or it says uh, in verse 13, we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So here's your blessed hope. If you're a Christian here today, there will come a day when we will see our Savior return. Not as a humble baby in Bethlehem, but in all of his glory and power as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He will return to put all things right, to banish sin and death forever, so that we will always be with him. In 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul describes to the church that this isn't going to be a quiet whisper kind of event. There's going to be a trumpet and a shout And 1 John 3 says that the whole world will see him as he is. That's that's the epiphany. They'll have an epiphany. That's who Jesus is. So we live between these two realities, Christians. He's come. He will come. And we wait for that. So what? Let me give you two applications here. First one's this. This Christmas, let your life be shaped by these two realities. That's really really Paul's main point in this text of Titus. He's really concerned with the behavior of the Christians that he's writing to. If you read through the whole book of Titus, most of it is Paul saying, live like this, live like this, live like this. This is just like a doctrinal section where he brings it all together and gives the motivation for living like that. 
But I encourage you, let your life be shaped by these two realities. In other words, live like a Christian this Christmas. Be known for, self, for your self-control, for your uprightness, for living a godly life that's full of good works. These are the kinds of things, church, that we need to be known for around the Christmas season. Self-control, not going crazy, buying everything for, for everyone or whatever, but these are virtues of grace. And, and this is really interesting. Paul frames this in Jesus being uh, the grace of God. And I emphasize that he came for undeserving people like us, and we just need to receive the salvation that he has to offer us. So this isn't about being good to get on Santa's Nice list, right? You, you know the song, he's making a list, checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty or nice, like, so you better be good because Santa Claus is coming to town. That's not the Christian message. So I'm not telling you be good because Santa's coming. I'm telling you be good because God has shown you such grace and that grace that we've received and that we've experienced leads us to want to live a life that pleases God. God wants to show, he wants to express and demonstrate his grace and love for the world through his people who demonstrate grace and love to those that they meet. So this Christmas, let your life be shaped by these two realities. He's come, he's coming again. How we live now matters. So that's the first application. Second is this. And, and this is a truth that's been on my heart uh, a lot this week that I think God wants to encourage us with. When Christ came the first time, in, in Matthew 1, it says he came as Emmanuel, which some of you could tell me what it, you, you know what that word means, right? It means God with us. So here's my point. Jesus came to be God with us. I want you to, I want you to consider the implications of this with me. A lot of us, we, we know this truth in our head. We say, yep, I know that. But I pray that his spirit would help us to know that here in this moment. He came as Emmanuel. He promised to be with us forever. That's an interesting connection in the book of Matthew. At the beginning, Jesus is God with us. At the end, in the Great Commission, Jesus says, behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. There's like the bookends of the book of Matthew. It's all about Jesus being with people. And if you know the story, after Jesus ascended, he sent his Holy Spirit to be with people in a new way that he wasn't before. So the story of the Bible, really the story of Christmas, is about Jesus came to be God with us. He came to come, he wanted to be close, up close and personal. He wanted to come near to his creation. So here's what this means for us this Christmas. This means if Jesus came to be God with us, then he's with us in our excitement. He is with us in our pain. He is with us in our despair. He's with you when you're lonely. 
He's with us when the doctor gives us an unexpected diagnosis. He's with. He's with us as we grieve the passing of a loved one. He's right there. He's with us as we celebrate the milestones of life with family and friends. He's with us. And he's with us when we don't see a way forward and when we lie awake with worry. He's with us. Jesus came to be God with you and with me. And that's the best news ever, isn't it? And if he is with you, then whatever you're facing this Christmas season, you can carry on. You can carry on. So we live in between, right here in the middle. How we live is important. And I want you to be encouraged that Jesus is with you this Christmas. Brenda and the team, could you come up, please?